This episode is sponsored by Kangaroo Jack Fitness, personal training that goes above and beyond to get the best results for you. I was just looking at, at the Wales lineup and bench. The young talent that they have at there, that sounds really weird. Welcome to the Game Time Podcast, an international one this weekend. Ryan's on it. Ryan, how you doing? Hello, friend. How are we? Yeah, very well. It's been a while. Yeah, yeah. It's not not been um, not been the easiest trying to fit around work, but obviously we're back on again. <laughs> we are. We live busy, busy lives. Although it may not always suggest that way from the terrible, terrible Twitter account that we have produced. Excellent. <laughs> let's go straight into some international stuff and we'll start with England because why not they were pretty bloody good it doesn't look like the World Cup was just a one-off I hope not anyway that'd be really disappointing if it was but yeah. <laughs> yeah it was um it's quite interesting to see how they would get on obviously we had a couple of the games back in September October November the Nations League games and we sort of saw then that maybe it wasn't a bit of a blip but obviously this Euros to qualify could be very important for us because a lot of the games will be playing at Wembley, which is obviously a massive uh, boost for all the teams that qualify. So, yeah, it was really good to sort of see against probably the most difficult team on paper in the group to get off with a, such a dominant start. It was really, really good. And like I say, they just seemed to be very... It was a performance that was like absolutely covered in swagger. We just seemed to be just dominating. And like I say, really good, really crisp passing, which was really, really nice to see. And... I don't think it flattered us towards the end. Like I said, we were really, really dominant, which is really, really positive. Well, you mentioned the swagger, and we'll probably get on to Jaden Sancho nutmegging pretty much every <laughs> member of the Czech Republic squad in a bit. But Raheem Sterling just continued the good form that he's had this season with a hat-trick. The way he's taking goals at the moment, and not only this season, but maybe towards the back end of last season as well, he just looks so composed every time he's in front of goal now. Yeah, I think that's a testament to uh, Guardiola and Southgate in terms of they're trying to bring that out in his game. Like that was the one big thing that was sort of criticised. Every, every every England player you always seem, or like every top England player always seems to have something labelled on them. So um, different things like, for example, Kane obviously could never score in August. That was the big thing around his neck um, and things like that. Like with Sterling, it was always like he couldn't really finish or he was he was never that good under pressure. But he seems to be definitely working on it. It's obviously something they've noted down in training at Manchester City. And then you can see it's paying off here. Like I say, the, the second goal he got was really, really well taken, considering he has to, he's on his weaker foot. He has to obviously navigate round uh, defenders. And it was, yeah, really, really good. And obviously the uh, third goal was a bit lucky, but the first goal, again, get a good position in, get in there, and then making sure that he's there to sort of like tap it in. But yeah, I was really, really, really impressed. That was one of the best individual performances I've seen from someone in an England shirt um, for a long, long time. You mentioned that first goal. It was at the end of a 25-pass move. Uh, Jaden Sancho getting his first England assist. But, oh my God, what what a passing play it, that was. It's slick. England, the England team just looked like they know what they're doing now. Yeah, like I say, it, it does translate. Like when you watch it, they did seem, like I said earlier, very, very crisp. They were sort of really sort of getting into their swing of it. I think for the first 25 minutes, it was a bit... The atmosphere was maybe a little bit. It was. It was quite good because obviously it was the England like fans. They they sort of genuinely start like singing. They bring out the same old songs again. But um, it was quite good because obviously like it sort of started to just get a bit subdued about twenty five minutes in. Like the Czech Republic had got a foothold. They'd started okay, and like I said, they're by no means a bad team. Obviously, they're sort of like in the I think thirty sixth ranks in the world, so decent team. Um, and then obviously the scoring then was just at the right time because then obviously you then get the confidence, okay, you can relax a bit now. It's not going to be nil-nil at half-time, for example. It's not going to be a close game. And then I think the second goal as well, the penalty was timed really just in time because obviously going in just before half-time, get the goal and then um, you can sort of move on. And then you've got a psychological 2-0 advantage. Then. But yeah, like I said, really, really composed, I thought. And um, it was good to see 
like you said earlier about Sancho and like people like Hudson Adoy as well, who obviously um, start in a game without starting a Premiership game for Chelsea yet from the from the beginning. And it's really good to see these players who were so involved in the youth levels getting their chances because they're obviously good enough. Like you don't win a world and European title like the under seventeen world title, for example. You don't win it by accident. So just because these people, players are like 18, maybe 19 years old doesn't mean that they shouldn't be given a chance, especially because obviously the, so, the so-called bigger names seem to pull out with injuries whenever they want usually, which is a source of frustration for me personally as a Spurs fan, obviously with Eric Dyer going off injured after he's literally just come back from appendicitis. Um, so yeah, like I say, it was really, really good to see them take their chances. Very, very positive. What did you think? As a bit of an outsider, what did you think about um, in terms of the, not only the, obviously the result, but also what, sort of message it sort of like sends out to the rest of rest of the teams in the qualification. Oh, I, I think it's absolutely massive to to win in the manner that England did. Like you said, the swagger, just they look so calm and composed and they never really looked like they were going to give it up. Whereas previous England teams we've seen have been a bit nervy in, in qualification campaigns at times, though they've been very good in, in recent tournaments. But one thing that I, I really liked, and, and it was more of a message from, from Southgate, and I think it was maybe the day before the, the game, and he, he got asked a question by one of the journalists, like, why, why are you giving Callum Hudson-Odoi um, a call-up when he hasn't started a game for Chelsea? Um, is Jaden Sancho in your plans to start? And, and he basically just said, well, it doesn't really matter. I know they're good enough now irrespective if their clubs don't think they're good enough. I've seen them, I've seen them play and they are good enough for this level. And that must give so much confidence to those players to go, you know what? I'm now part of an international team that wants me. I'm not part of an international team that's scared and always goes for the safe picks because they don't want to crash and burn like they did when they were qualifying for Euro 2008. They're a team now that's just got so much confidence that it doesn't matter who comes in because they know how they want to play it. And I just thought it was, it was so refreshing to see. Yeah, definitely. Like I say, look at someone like Hudson Odoi. Obviously, it comes with a bit of a caveat that the fact that obviously England were already 4-0 up when he came on. I think it was, I think it had just gone to 4-0 by the time he got subbed on. Um, but obviously, he looked like he was playing his like 20th game. He didn't seem to bother him. Like obviously, at Wembley, like I say, he's only played at Wembley a few times before. Um, for Chelsea, obviously in the league, I think he played in the uh, League Cup game when we played the semi-final earlier in the year. I remember him playing against Spurs. Um, so obviously a big occasion, I'd say debut, and he, he didn't look bothered by it. And that seems to be, again, like you said, a, a relatively like recent phenomenon in terms of people coming in, not being bothered by the occasion, just going, okay, shall we just sort of um, get on with this now? But like I said, I do, I do think there is maybe still a couple of a couple of positions where, like I said, I think we could be maybe bringing in some alternative options. I mean, I think personally this season, obviously, and I think he's acknowledged so much in the interview as well, Kieran Tripp has probably not been at the good level that he was in the summer, which is understandable because obviously he had a very, very good summer. And then obviously sort of slightly regressed, but hopefully he can get back to the same levels. But someone like Wan-Bissaka, I know he was called up to the end of 21 squad and then pulled out with injury, but I, I would not have been afraid to give him a game, potentially, um, if, if need be, because I think at the minute he's shown that he's probably on better form than... Um, someone like Trippier, who obviously got into the squad. Um, so yeah, but yeah, like I say, I think man for man, like I say, I think that's probably taking all of, all into account just the first lot of games, so Thursday to Saturday. I feel like that was the most impressive performance from any country um, in the whole qualification, which is really, like I say, really really positive, and obviously hopefully can take it back into Monday now. Because if we get a, a slightly negative result on Monday, it could be a bit of a confidence shaker. But hopefully, like I say, we can just carry the momentum on now. Yeah, and we'll go on to that Monday game just after I, I want to ask you about Declan Rice making his debut for England. I know he came on as a sub, so probably didn't get as much time as, as people may have thought. But what, what did you think of his performance? Yeah, I think very composed. I, I think personally, I would have probably brought him on for Dyer when Dyer went off injured. I know, obviously, Southgate went on to bring Barkley on, and that was a really, really good decision, which is why he's the England manager and I'm not. <laughs> yeah, I, I do think that he was very very, very positive in, in possession. Um, he does remind me a bit in terms of when he's on the ball, a bit like um, Harry Winks for Spurs, obviously from a comparison point of view in terms of like he always gets his head up and looks forward rather. And considering he was playing like sort of a 
center back role up until recently that's very very mature and he's obviously fits in this idea of like dire maybe as a defensive cdm utility man sort of almost can play like central defense and that's so yeah like i said i think he's made the right choice personally with him choosing england over ireland because he could have been obviously one of the better players for ireland in a team that might not qualify for euros and world cup obviously then if he plays really, really well, he can be a regular start for England. And England generally, because they have better players, they generally have more chances to qualify for tournaments. So I think he's done the sensible thing. And he's definitely good enough to play for England. Um, but yeah, like I say, very, very impressed. And obviously, again, Barkley, who came on for Dyer, he had a really good game. He sort of got things going in midfield. So like everything went right, including obviously the bit of the shambolic own goal. Uh, which had personally for me a little bit of a whiff of the old match fixing about it in terms of the amount of time that Thomas Callas has to sort himself out. He had a, approximately six months to sort himself out and he standed up just like siphoning it into the, into the corner and it's like, mate, it's not like, you know, I think Glenn Hoblett, it's not like it's come straight at him. He's had so much time and he's just sort of like, he's gone, oh, this is my chance. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, like I say, it was that was one of the things that just sort of capped off the evening really, but yeah. Very, very positive. Is that an assist for Hudson Adoy as well? Um, I think it would have been, yeah, unless, unless it counts off the goalie, which is pretty harsh if it does. Um, <laughs> Assisted own goal by your own team. Yeah, that would be pretty gutting. Um, <laughs> I just wanted to bring up before we move on as well. Um, obviously, like you said before on previous um, shows, obviously we've talked about where we discuss things in the, in sort of our group chat or whatever. And obviously after the. Um, Raheem Sterling's second goal, we were sort of discussing it a bit in our group chat. And, and then Tom said he reckons that maybe, I think he said he's Raheem Sterling's our best player or most important player, one of the two. I think it was best, like mm. in terms of like for England. I just wanted to get your opinion on that in terms of do you think there's anyone in the squad that is more important or better in terms of sort of quality at the minute? Because I can't think really at the minute, apart from maybe Kane, in terms of who has a more of an impact in that England squad, apart from maybe Kane and Sterling? That's a bloody good question. Yeah, I mean, I'd have to say Sterling. In in the form that he's in for his club and the way that he can translate that pretty much seamlessly into an England shirt right now is something that very few players have managed to do over the years. Yes, Harry Kane is massively important, but Sterling just seems like he's involved in everything. And, and we'll get yeah. on to it a little bit later with Holland because I think Memphis Depay has a similar role in the way the Dutch play. I think if you take Kane out of that England team and let's say you put Rashford up front, Sterling will still create chances for him in another way and Sterling will get on the end of chances. Whereas if you take Sterling out of that team, I'm not sure there's another winger in the England squad that has the same completeness to his game at the moment. Yeah, I agree with that. Like I say, and obviously... I think at the minute you could probably make a case that England at the moment have two genuinely sort of world-class players in probably Kane and Sterling. Mm. I think if you look at like the alternatives in their positions, you think, yeah, they are sort of like top five material in terms of like, like say on current form, obviously Sterling has picked up recently sort of individual praise and like individual awards as well with the man, um, player of the month. Even better if he gets the manager of the month, that's really going to. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's for Kepa. Yeah, very good. Uh, um, so um, obviously that that's show it's translated in that in terms of his his key role. And like I say, it's the sort of the again the thing we touched upon before about like if people don't like I think we talked about it two weeks ago last time I was on. If people don't like Kane at this point, it's just pure bias because they mm. they're looking for the player, looking for faults in the person rather than the player. And I think it's the same with Sterling. Obviously, he got a little bit of stick during the World Cup because maybe he didn't finish chances or whatever, or he was maybe seen as the scapegoat. Um, but I think genuinely he is probably one of our best players. Um, probably at the minute, I'd say he's probably above Kane, just because Kane's still coming back from that injury and Sterling's had such a good season. But yeah, very, very impressed. A likeable guy as well. Again, like I talked about before, like people seem to go or certain newspapers who I'm not going to bother mentioning because they're just not worth the time. <laughs> um, but obviously, some of them are sort of seem to go at him for his stuff he does in his personal life. And it's like if you actually look at him, obviously the the tribute he paid to the young footballer who um, sadly died after his second goal. It was like, yeah, he's just a decent guy. So mm. you like to say, get behind the team rather than just sort of having a go at them all the time, and, and you'll see what happens, like it did in the summer. <laughs> Yeah, no, I t- totally agree with you. And they, they seem so much more relaxed as well. 
in, in communicating with media as well, they just seem so much more chilled than they've been. And, and I feel like there's been a lot more coming out of the England camp now than, than has ever been in terms of the media and, and what players are saying. And it tends to be pretty much all good, to be honest. And without fear of, of isolating listeners, people who think that Raheem Sterling had a bad World Cup clearly don't understand football. Exactly, yeah. Like I say, it's just because he wasn't scoring. Obviously, Kane got the golden boot, which obviously means that he had a good World Cup. You could say Pickford played really well. Like I say, Trippier mentioned before. People like that, they had really, really strong World Cups. Obviously, John Stones, Maguire. Um, but it's like, yeah, if, you, if you're if you not you're not looking hard enough if you didn't know how important he was in the summer. Like, just yeah. in terms of just like, like I say, stuff he doesn't do, like he runs and makes space for someone else to then score or do whatever. Yeah, very, 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 very good player. On to Montenegro on Monday slash today, depending on when you're listening to it. Um, do, are you expecting wholesale changes or do you think he'll, he'll keep the main core and maybe rotate a few players around? I'm expecting maybe two changes, I reckon. Um, so obviously Dyer will be one of them because obviously he's now injured. So probably Rice coming in there or maybe go with Barkley because obviously you've got how well Barkley played when he was freed up next to Henderson on Friday night. Um, I think potentially might rotate in terms of one of the wingers, maybe, um, like I say, Sancho maybe coming out. Um, I don't know, really, to be honest. I mean, like I say, I think Sancho definitely played well enough to, to keep his place. But I think, like I say, just the, the demands of international football may be a bit too much on him as a young player at the minute, um, playing two games within like two or three days. Obviously, I know he's playing regularly for Dortmund, but you never know what it's, what toll it's taken. But uh, yeah, probably one change, maybe maybe a second. I think everyone who played um, put themselves sort of in the in the frame to be playing again. Obviously, even people like Michael Keane, who has been sort of like in and out of the England squad recently, he obviously had a very quiet night. So you can't really drop him because he didn't really do anything wrong. Mm. Um, so yeah, and I say um, it puts the pressure now on the on the people who are not who withdrew from injury with uh, injuries and I use the word injuries lightly there because a lot of them seem a bit tenuous and it does like I say earlier it, it does annoy me from a Tottenham point of view because obviously we have to it seems that Tottenham and teams around us or maybe teams slightly below us uh, below us in the table we have to pick up the slack because people like um a few well a few of the names that have dropped out in the England squad so a couple of Liverpool players pulled out didn't they um Alexander Arnold pulled out um, I think he did it Rashford is still in the squad? No, he, he went home on went Thursday. Home. It's like, realistically, this is now putting more stress on us as a football club because obviously we have now got to fill in the gaps. Obviously, Dar got injured. He's probably going to be out for another month. And it's just a bit, it pisses me off when you see it because it's mm. like, obviously, they're not that injured that they can't play. And it's obviously just a point. They see the international break as a nuisance. But then obviously when the World Cup comes calling, they'll be like, well, why is Rashford not in the squad? Well, it's like, well, actually, because Hudson Odoi has been actually he's been keeping him out, <laughs> and then you've lost your practical fault. Then, yeah, that's just a bit of a personal personal rant. But obviously, that's that's my my issue, not yours. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm t- again. I agree with you. Ryan Giggs at least turned up for a friendly as manager of Wales, so he's already <laughs> he's already done that more than he did as a player. But yeah, it's it's an interesting thing. Um, right before we move on to the next game. Uh, I just want to say the Montenegrin coach said that England have no weaknesses whatsoever. Agree? Hmm. Disagree? Explain? On that, yeah, I disagree. Again, I think there are still maybe a couple of positions where we maybe lack the sort of like the just like the little tactical nous of international football. Like again, the the centre back pair, and obviously Maguire is still relatively new to international football. Chilwell is only played his first few games recently for England um, so the squad in general lacks a bit of experience but I don't think like I said before I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because obviously it means that they're not got the scars from previous tournaments like very little of the team that played on Friday played against Iceland in 2016 for example so that's obviously positive there in that way because obviously it means that they are not having to play and obviously not not having to they don't have the mental baggage um, yeah, I think, like I say, just, just that little bit, maybe going to these places like Montenegro where the sort of the fans may be on their back a bit and um, sort of the, the, the players, they won't really know. It's just that sort of like a bit of bit of sort of tactical nuts. Like when you play in Europe, that sort of thing, where you just out of a game if you want to learn, you just get their job and come back home. But yeah, I think, I think we are in a definitely very, very strong position, but it's just obviously turning that into um, sort of like progress in tournaments now but yeah I, I think genuinely 
we have a very strong squad. Just it's just immaturity, maybe, um, is one area that we could obviously focus on. But that will come with time. Tell you what, though, Jaden Sancho's "Welcome to England 2018-2019" skills video is going to be absolute fire. Not going to be. There's not going to be any um, gaps in that. There's not going to be any shortage of footage, is there? <laughs> It's one continuous nutmeg. This <laughs> is every player in the world and the manager. <laughs> right, let's let's move it on over to uh, to another piece of skill that that is normally not seen, but Sergio Ramos seems to do them with frequent ease. Spain beat Norway by two goals to one. Sergio Ramos has penenkered something like his ninth penalty <laughs> this in his last eleven or something along those lines. As, as Spain sort of narrowly avoided an upset against Norway, you call the highlights of this one. What, what did you make of it? Alvaro Morata cannot score headers. Is that? <laughs> I mean, that bloke must have had about six chances. All <laughs> terrible. One of them is like literally five yards out. I can see why Sarri fucked him off, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Looking at the score, you think, like you say, they just freeze past them. But I think on the balance of play, um, Spain had enough to win that game comfortably. Maybe it could have been 3-4-1 if they'd have um, took the chances. But like on the other hand, Norway did have a really good chance where Elianusi, the Southampton player, he basically had an open oh, yeah. ball and he just shanked it straight to um, back, sort of back behind him. And obviously if that goes in, then it's one all. And then if they get the penalty, they Spain go 2-1 down, so that could be a problem. Um, but yeah, I think I think in general, they, they did enough Spain to win it. Um, obviously, like I said, the, pen, uh, the penalty, uh, Rooney Jarstein, the goalkeeper for Norway, who plays in the Bundesliga for her to Berlin. Um, very good goalkeeper normally, but he had a bit of a rush of blood to the head, I think, and obviously chopped down Morata, which was a bit gutting mm. five minutes earlier. Norway had just got back into the game. Um, but yeah, like I said, I think they were worthwhile for it, Spain. I think they were worthwhile for the victory. So um, not really too much of an issue there. But like I said, the, the Ramos penalty thing, surely keepers should be just waiting for that to happen because like I say it happens more often than not and I've always yeah. thought why don't keepers more often than not stay in the middle because obviously it's a really easy save if they do and you look at people like Kane who sometimes puts his down the middle um, and it's like realistically obviously you've got as much chance of saving it if you're doing a full length dive to the right so you may as well take your chances a few a few times now so in a future penalty shootout for example then obviously they can use it there yeah, it's, especially with the way players seem to be taking penalties nowadays. They all have these weird quirks in their run-up and they just wait for the goalkeeper to make a move. Mm. So just stand still and just wait. And, and yes, if they absolutely leather the ball into the corner, you're probably not going to save it anyway, even if you have died. So. <laughs> yeah, you've got no chance. But, but that's, that's the way the cookie crumbles as Spain win that one. An interesting thing about Spain, their squad looks really odd for a team that normally is is filled and littered with world class stars. It was a bit of a bit of a mixed batch of players. I, I was still, speaking to one of still playing for Spain at the Grand at right back nine. <laughs> I saw it in the because I saw it on the highlights. And I was there's a bit where the ball breaks to uh, someone with the number twenty five shirt on. I thought that looks like Jesus Navas, but he can't play for Spain because he's he's a bit shit, isn't he? Uh, and then it, it just went Navas, and I was like, "Oh God, is this 2013? Have I clicked on the wrong video? <laughs> Am I watching a past broadcast?" I over it, I was like, "How has that worked?" But yeah, um, very interesting to see. Like I say, the the, the squad. Obviously, Rodrigo, look, um, the guy who played at the front from Valencia, mm. they were playing at Valencia Stadium. He looks class. I think in the Europa League this year, when I've seen him, he looks mustard. But yeah, a few of the players. They've got sort of like old heads like Jordi Alba again, obviously does what Jordi Alba does and just dominates, plays basically left wing and creates a load of chances. Um, but then, yeah, like I say, they, they have got a bit of a strange quality. And obviously, because a lot of the players have come to their natural end, obviously Puyol retired a few years ago. Um, you've got people like um, David Villa, Torres, obviously all the class of like 2008 and 10. They all sort of packed up. And even people like David Silver, obviously, they're, they're sort of like coming to the end. So obviously, they've got to bring the new players in. And it's interesting to see how they're going to cope with sort of that transition. But yeah, they, they seem okay at the minute. It just seems a bit weird not seeing, a, like you said, a Spain team with a recognisable 1-11. to 11. Yeah, it is, it is odd. And, and another team in Europe that are pretty much going through that same transition is Italy. They beat Finland by two goals to nil, but very similar sort of game. It, it, the scoreline did not flatter Italy, to be honest, who really struggled to 
I wouldn't say create chances because they created enough half chances, but they just butchered all of them yeah. with either terrible passing or just shocking finishing. But again, their their defense is solid, but through the rest of the team, it's it's a very sort of sparsely star-studded team, if that makes any sense. Yeah, like I say, just looking obviously looking at the name, obviously a lot of the players, I mean, on the bench especially, I've not really heard of, to be honest. Like, um, I, I recognise a couple of names from, like, obviously just playing FIFA and stuff. But I don't... But obviously, you've got players I hear, like, Sensi. Not not sure who he is, uh, if I'm honest. Um, Zaniolo, I only know because he scored those goals against Porto. And obviously, that is sort of, again, one of my... That's my failing because, obviously, I don't watch a lot of... Um, I don't watch a lot of Serie A. Um, but, yeah, like I say, obviously, um, Mancini is the back there as manager now for what seems like his ninth go. Um <laughs> Interesting, like I say, interesting to see these of again sort of maybe trying to manage expectation with not qualifying in 2018. Um, what do you think in terms of the players that are sort of like coming in? So, um, obviously, the guy who scored for a uh, second goal, uh, Kean, um, what do you think about sort of like the introduction of that? Do you think it's positive? Yeah, I think for a long time, Italy have, have had this sort of label of, oh, we just go with the old guard, we'll be nothing without the old guard. And we're now finally starting to trust a little bit of rotation Ventura who was the manager before just honestly didn't have a clue and that's the reason why we didn't qualify um he just had no clue what was happening he he pretty much refused to play Lorenzo Insigne who was at that time one of the best players in Serie A last season slash the season before heading into the World Cup um so it's nice to see Mancini giving the likes of Moise Keane a go Nicola Barella who's been linked with so many big money moves um it was a bit of a weird performance, to be honest with you. Italy, as you'd expect, would have controlled the game against Finland, but they just consistently kept shitting it up at the last <laughs> minute. Like it was, there was a point where it was like a three-on-two break, and the ball breaks to Benedetti on the wing, and he cuts inside, and I'm thinking, "Go on, just lay it across goal." There's two people that waiting there, and he just like fucks like the weirdest half shot, half cross <laughs> in the world, and it goes out for a throw-in, and I was just like. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah, yeah, like, um, it is. Yeah, from what I saw again from the highlights, and they did seem to do that. But again, like I say, looking at it from comparing maybe to the Spain uh, Norway game, obviously Timmy Puki had the chance to maybe score mm. at the other end when it was only one nil. Like I say, and you see if that goes in, then it's really sort of testing how uh, this sort of like youngish squad or this relatively inexperienced squad, apart from Bonucci, obviously Chiellini, who's obviously played a lot of games together at the back for club and country. Um, yeah, as like I say, it's interesting to sort of see um, how they would have dealt with that. But obviously, yeah, the 2-0 win, obviously you take it and you build on it. Um, who have they got uh, later in the week? Italy play Liechtenstein on Tuesday. Again, imagine another victory for that one. One thing that I did want to mention from this game, Moise Keane, who scored the second goal, the Juventus forward. He's the second youngest scorer in Italian football history now for the national team, which is, is lovely jubbly. I'm going to be honest despite the fact that I'm Italian, have not heard of the number one man, Bruno Nicola. He was 18 years old in 258 days. So, uh, when was that? Was that in... Because I've, I've not heard of him. Was that sort of like in the 50s or... Like that? Like, yeah. Bang on, 1958. Just a guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, one thing that I did want to mention uh, before we move on from the Italy game, Fabio Cagliarella. Yes. <laughs> He came, he came on and he he could have scored twice. Oh, what a guy. I've got, I've got a very good, again, like, like I said, I've said to you before, obviously I don't really watch a lot of Serie A, but however, I've got a, I'm heavily invested in the players there because I've got a Serie A team on FIFA. So, obviously, nice. like I say, Qualiorella has been the sort of like the linchpin of that. So, I do like it. The fact that he is doing bits at sort of the, the age of 36 is fantastic. Um, read a good article the other day on basically trying to explain the, the sociological reasons as to why Italian strikers seem to blossom at the age of like 35. Obviously, Luke the year when we were at uni, didn't he? Didn't he score a lot of mm. goals? Um, and you've got other players sort of like coming back maybe. Um, Dean Natale as well was another one where he just seemed to get better with age um, at Udinese. So yeah, it's, it's quite weird to see how that happens. Obviously, Qualiarella is, is just knocking them in and, and again obviously from your point of view it must be good that people can get in on form regardless of how old they are for the team which is really really good yes age has never been a blocker for uh, Italy to be honest we 
It's just like, how old are you? Dino's off. Forty-seven. Yeah. Like to go? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just go. It's just one more World Cup. Why not? So old. Feeding. <laughs> 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 But yeah, wonderful to see Cagliarella back in the Italy squad after a very good season um, in the domestic campaign and uh, could have scored twice, had literally his first touch, really good save from, uh, and I'll probably pronounce it wrong, but the Finnish keeper, Hideki. Uh, Hideki, yeah, the um, place for, uh, oh, good question, place for Bayern. Yeah, correct. Good goalkeeper. Yeah, again. So, like I say, not not the greatest um, advertisement for the Bundesliga. But then again, like I say, Spain and Italy are two very good teams, so they'll be allowed. But Yarstein less so because obviously he just absolutely um, crippled (laughs) Avaramato in the box. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I say very, very good. Um, Also, just on a point as well, sort of teams like uh, Finland and obviously Norway, they're teams that realistically should maybe be looking at qualifying for the next Euros. Obviously, now it's 24 teams. You sort of think, okay, there are more spaces for the teams that maybe haven't, you didn't used to qualify regularly. I mean, Norway haven't qualified for a tournament for about 20 years, I reckon. I think France 98, maybe Euro 2000, I think was the last time they were in tournaments. So, it'd be interesting to see if they can obviously get in. And Because I do like this idea of obviously other countries being sort of allowed to qualify and, and sort of show what they're like. Obviously, Albania qualified for the first Euros last time and got a good result against Romania in France in 2016. So it'd be positive to see some like maybe countries that people haven't seen for a while. Hopefully, they can qualify and hopefully they can obviously like Finland, Norway can maybe get involved with that. That'd be good for a personal point of view. It'd be nice to see. I'll tell you what, if Norway keep getting penalties, Josh King's going to keep putting them away. Yeah. So I'm sure they're going to get enough fucking practice at Bournemouth, do not they? <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like every week. <laughs> yeah. They were, I said it uh, the other day on, on a stat, but Bournemouth have had like the most penalties from from any Premier League team yeah. and have scored the second most uh, behind Crystal That's Palace. Bloody love penalties. Off our, six off our Bournemouth quota for the week. We have talked about them. So, we've done yeah. it with someone managed to do it on a fucking international week, but we're still done it. it. It's almost like it during the World Cup uh, part of the Game Time podcast, which you can listen back to on anchor.com, just go down to the first few episodes, uh, we managed to shoehorn Tim Cahill in five straight episodes. Very good. I like the ratio there. Very on brand. <laughs> but um, Australia were at least in the World Cup, so potato, potato. Right, let's go and move it on to the break. But when we come back, we'll be talking a little bit about Ireland's gruelling victory over Gibraltar and then a few more talking points from the International Week. See you in a bit. If you're an MMA fan, be sure to check out the new Switchkick podcast. We preview upcoming events, discuss the big UFC and Bellator news and John from Philadelphia drops in to give us a few betting tips. To listen, search for Switchkick MMA on SoundCloud or Switchkick in the Apple Store. Right, welcome back from the break. And as I mentioned, Ireland were in action, as were Wales and Scotland and Northern Ireland. So we're going to do a little bit of a home nations wrap-up. Republic of Ireland, they got the job done in the end, but only 1-0 against Gibraltar. Surprising? Um, Well, if you look at the highlights, I mean, Gibraltar did have a couple of good chances. So could have gone either way with that one. Obviously, Ireland just about got over the line and... Not the greatest start coming back for uh, Mick McCarthy with obviously his sort of second spell as Ireland manager. Um, obviously, like I say, he did blame the pitch in the pro uh, post-match interviews. He said it was a bit bobbly and wasn't really up to their standards. But he, he just said it was basically, his his message was he didn't really care how they won. It's just the fact that they did win. Obviously, they have got a lot of um, difficult sort of games coming up. Um, they've got some difficult people in their uh, group as well. So obviously... It would be interesting to see um, if they would have maybe got a draw, how that would have affected confidence. Because like I say, it's obviously, um, it's a group that potentially they could they could get out of. Obviously, they've got Switzerland and Denmark in there as well, which are two teams that maybe could be um, sort of looking, looking to qualify, hopefully. Um, same thing with, um, with Ireland. They're sort of on the same level maybe as Ireland in terms of quality. They've got sort of a couple of good players each. So it'd be interesting to see if they like, if they can qualify. Maybe that three points will be positive for them in the end. But 
Yeah, um, it's just a thing I sort of mentioned for some of the results. Um, we mentioned this off air earlier. The fact that wait, maybe this Nations League um, tournament that was obviously competed for back in um, sort of September, October, November last year, I think it sort of maybe brought the standard up. I might be speaking a bit too soon for this. I think it's generally, looking at it, it's brought the standard up a little bit for the rest of the countries because uh, obviously San Marino played Scotland early, which we'll come on to in a minute. They only lost 2-0. Then you've got, for example, like you say, you've got um, teams like uh, Luxembourg won against Lithuania. They're a team maybe that were, again, not as heralded and they got some good results last time. They drew 0-0 with France, I seem to remember, in the last time. They did qualify, and like Andorra as well, a team that's traditionally the whipping boys. They only lost two 0 to Iceland. So hopefully, this we're seeing a bit of a um, upturn in um, sort of like minnow teams, maybe not getting battered as much because obviously there's nothing more pointless than playing a team that they just win six 0 seven 0 because obviously their confidence gets shot, and then the other team doesn't get anything apart from giving caps to people that probably normally wouldn't play. Remember the time John Joe Shelby played against San Marino, for example. It's like normally he probably wouldn't get in the England team. <laughs> they just gave him a cap. So yeah, it's so hopefully it'll bring bring the stand up a bit more. But um, yeah, what about what do you think about the um, the two games for Scotland? Then moving on from sort of like Ireland um, after that, what do you think about that? Mixed would be the the best word. To they they were dreadful against Kazakhstan. Really, really, we were. We, we were watching it at work slash looking at the highlights because you shouldn't really be watching stuff at work. But we, we were just watching these the Kazakhstanis who, to be fair to them, their goals were decent. We're not, we're not talking like Scotland just shit the bed and, and just let them walk in. But some of the, the defending from Scotland, especially from Shinny at left-back, and I know he's not a left-back, and I know that Scotland have got like a wealth of left-back talent in, in Tierney and and Robertson, who were both out injured, but two of the goals came from him just switching off at left back, and Kazakhstan made him pay. Yeah, yeah, like I say, it was it was quite interesting to see the score. Obviously, it sort of went a bit on social media because they were two 0 down, and everyone was sort of laughing at Scotland, which is the correct thing to do in that situation. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was quite interesting to see, like I say, how how much they'd sort of fallen apart, um, and obviously how much Kazakhstan had sort of taken over. Um, sort of taking advantage of that. Obviously, looking at the sort of the results as well, um, Kazakhstan, obviously not um, particularly um, well-ranked. It was a big thing about they were sort of 117th in the world and people were sort of saying that they shouldn't have lost to them. And today, they obviously got beat by Russia as well. They got beat 4-0 at home. So, obviously, they're not the best team in the world. And Scotland, like I said, are beating San Marino 2-0. So, yeah, pretty of a rocky start. But, again, Scotland should be one of those teams that may be looking to try and qualify from their group. Obviously, they've got mm. Belgium. They need to get past Russia. But they've got three relatively inexperienced teams. Like I said, they've got Kazakhstan, San Marino and Cyprus in their group. So, they should be looking to at least get third place, second place in that group. But, um, yeah, it's going to be difficult from now on because of that really piss-poor performance. Um Another yeah. thing, as I just sort of mentioned, who was a bit funny, one of my friends, he lives up in Edinburgh, works in a bar, and apparently on the way to work, he walked past this like, notorious sports bar in Edinburgh, showing the game, and they were 3-0 down already, and there was not a single person in there. They just, <laughs> just left it, they were like, oh, I can't be bothered, <laughs> they've just gone home. <laughs> this, this isn't worth it. And, and despite the fact that they beat San Marino 2-0, fair play, because after a, sort of a, a result, like the one against Kazakhstan and especially the way the media and a lot of people reacted to it, it'd be very easy to just get very, very down and, and not put in a performance against San Marino. But they got the win, irrespective that it was only 2-0 against the side who regularly ships like five or six goals a game. But the one thing that, that interested me about this was going into the game, there were articles online saying, can San Marino upset Scotland? And surely that must be a damning indictment to Scottish football right now if there's articles and people within the industry saying that San Marino could upset you. Yeah, definitely. Like I say, obviously, hopefully, like I said earlier, this Nations League is trying to level the playing field a bit in terms of the, the sort of like the competitive nature. But still, San Marino is still in their like infancy. They're, they're sort of regularly called one of the worst teams in the world. I think technically at the minute they are. They're sort of ranked towards the bottom. I think they are the bottom ranked team, uh, especially in Europe. Um, so, yeah, like I say, and the fact that when I clicked on BBC Sport earlier to see how the game was going, the headline the banner headline from the updates was worst team in the world, go close to an equaliser. 
you know that there's something up. And like, like you said before, like um, it is a bit of a damning indictment as well. Like I say, this is a tournament which will be partly hosted in Scotland, and if they get through, they will be playing their games at Hampden Park, including against potentially England. So if that isn't as motivation, I don't know what is. Like, does that you should be like I say going out there, putting in all your effort trying to qualify, but obviously it didn't happen for them on um, on Thursday night, and now they've obviously now got to go back and they've got to win back those three points somehow, and that's going to be by winning in Denmark or winning at home to Switzerland or doing something like that, which is not going to be easy. So yeah, like I say, see how that one goes. Or beating Kazakhstan. Yeah, that could also be. Like I say, Kazakhstan, don't rule them out now because obviously they've got. No, exactly. Obviously, now they've got minus one goal difference because they got helped by Russia. But um, like I say, I won't, I won't put it past them. If Scotland carry on maybe the downward trajectory, maybe Kazakhstan can even finish above them. That would be interesting to see. Be very interesting indeed. Uh, moving on to the next home nation in Wales, they picked up a victory 1 0. Uh, you wanted to, to have a cheeky word on this one. Dan James with his first Wales goal. He looks like he's having a pretty decent season. Yeah, yeah. Like I say, it, it seems to be a, a sort of like a trend at the minute. These young Welsh players coming in and scoring. Obviously, uh, Ben Woodburn's scored recently for Wales um, when he debuted. Um, Liverpool player who's on loan at Sheffield United at the minute. Um, you've got other players, like I say, making their debut. So Dan James, obviously relatively new to the squad. Um, obviously, he scored um, his first goal today. And like I said, off air a minute ago, he was linked to um, go to Leeds in the January transfer window. The move didn't pan out in the end just because of, I think there was disagreements with the transfer fee. But you can see how highly he's rated by Swansea. And obviously, now Ryan Geek's giving him games. It was, like I said, it's good to see those players maybe stepping up when like Bale and Ramsey aren't playing or when they're having, having off days. Because for all the things that talks about like Gareth Bale and Ramsey being the two best players for Wales, and that's true, you need a squad of players there. Like, that was one of the things they did well in the Euros in 2016. They had maybe unheralded players like Robson Carnu, people like Ashley Williams, coming and sort of having really, really good games individually. And obviously that helped them out. So yeah, it's really, really good to see um, I've not got anything really against the Welsh footballing-wise. I feel like, again, Bale, they've got a lot of credit with them because obviously his time at Spurs. So, yeah, don't don't um, don't really envy them too much. Don't really have any dislike towards them. So um, but, yeah, they played. I thought they played really, really well um, today. Again, it's going to be difficult for them in their group. It could be um, a bit tricky to see how they're going to get out of that group because they have got teams that are traditionally ranked better than them so you've got um croatia but then again they've um lost a game they lost uh, to hungary earlier so obviously that's good for wales slovakia again obviously they beat slovakia which is positive um they just need to take points now from hungary as well because they probably have the group where everyone is very similar in their groups Slovakia, mm. Hungary, Croatia, Wales, all of those teams qualified for the last Euros. Azerbaijan, again, one of the better teams in that sort of pot four of League of Nations teams. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how that group goes, really. But they started off really, really well. The wealth of talent that they have currently in that squad is, I haven't seen the Wales squad look that decent for a while. Harry Wilson's having a good season. Brooks, we've constantly managed to shoehorn Bournemouth back in it, but he's playing well. Um, Dan James, you said there. Uh, Chris Meppham at the back, who's now in the Premier League. Obviously, Gareth Bale <laughs> with, with, with Bournemouth. Um, and then even on the bench, like Ben Woodburn didn't play, but they've got some decent players in that squad for the future. As yeah, well. definitely. Like I say, um, a lot of people may be giving um, Ryan Giggs a little bit of stick when he took over because like, he sort of hadn't really done much. Uh, obviously, he was sort of the manager at United for those like, three games or so. Uh, towards the end of the Moyes year. But yeah, it's interesting to see how he is like sort of blooding these youngsters. Um, so hopefully, like I say, that can sort of continue. And the young lad as well, uh, Matundo, who's recently signed for Schalke, um, playing as well. Obviously, he was a Man City graduate of the Youth Academy and he's now gone to Schalke for a fairly a hefty amount of money as well. So that's sort of be interesting to see how he gets on in the Bundesliga. Hopefully, he can do a bit of a Sancho slash Reese Nelson and adapt really, really well. But yeah, like I say, the wouldn't wouldn't be against them qualifying. So hopefully they can again they'll just have to pick points up where they can at home. Croatia losing say is a positive for them. So hopefully that can sort of spur them on. But yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens really with those uh with those next few games. Exciting times ahead. Um right before we round everything off, any other things from the international break that you wanted to mention that, that took your eye? Um just thought in the interest of fairness, um we'll obviously just have a quick chat about Northern Ireland, but obviously Northern Ireland are 
currently playing at the minute, so we don't know how they're getting on. Oh, no, they've just scored in the last minute against Belarus. <laughs> we go, now we know. So, yeah, they're, so they're on for two wins in a row. So obviously, that's a really positive start for them. Again, they qualified for the last Euros, and it was mainly built on their home form at Winter Park. So hopefully, they can get two out of two. Um, and then that will put them in a really good position. But obviously, they've got Netherlands and Germany in their group, so it would be difficult to see them qualifying. Um, but, yeah, apart from that, um, I was just going to mention the fact that I watched uh, part of the Bulgaria-Montenegro game in the pub on Friday night when I went out because um, it was on before the England game and Bulgaria were awarded a penalty for something that happened approximately five yards outside the box. Uh, <laughs> and it was really, really like, again, but it's good for us though because obviously we play Montenegro on Monday. Montenegro are seen as probably the third best team in our group. So them losing points, obviously it means that hopefully that means we have an easier chance or easier path to qualification. So if we can beat Montenegro, that was... Um, Really, really sort of like positive for us, but obviously refereeing again was an absolute shocker. Um, and then, yeah, apart from that, really, obviously a couple of um, good results for Ukraine away at Portugal. I thought they did well to hold Portugal to a nil-nil draw. Um, and then uh, apart from that, I think we've pretty much covered them all, haven't we? We've covered all of the games. Um, we, Yeah, I, w- one thing that I wanted to mention uh, that I saw, uh, Memphis Depay in, in Holland's 4-0 win, assisted and scored every single goal he's done yeah he's done really really well this season at Leon. um obviously again he's um playing tonight at the minute and um netherlands are holding germany to a, a two or draw oh no it's fucking three two now for fuck's sake yeah. take on him they fucking change <laughs> schultz with an 89 oh lad goal. he's getting the beers will be around hoffenheim tonight i mean they would love that uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, obviously the pie scored again tonight so it looked like they were going to get a draw but obviously now it looks like Germany are going to win that um, yeah that, that sort of individual points again it was against Belarus so you can say with a pinch of salt but he's, he's had a really really good season and it shows obviously maybe just things didn't work out with him at United because he's a, he's a good player like we, we knew that well hopefully people knew that from seeing him in the Dutch league and then obviously um, now at Leon. but yeah it's one of those things where maybe it was just the wrong time for him at um, United at the time, but yeah, very, very good individual performance. Probably be getting some, um, let's say, some good um, exposure there if he is sort of like looking to potentially sort of like move clubs again, maybe get to a sort of a United level club. That's obviously him. Mm. Be interesting to see um, what happens because he's, he's absolutely dominating at the moment at Leon, and that sort of confidence will, will take you to bigger and better things. Um, one other thing that I wanted to mention uh, Ireland, Gibraltar. I don't know if you saw this. Loads of people on Twitter going absolutely mental because an easy jet plane landed behind. Because obviously there's a runway at Gibraltar's uh, stadium, so there was an easy jet plane that landed. Awesome. People, people lost their fucking minds on Twitter because why not? Yeah, definitely. Uh, we were talking about this. Funny enough, I was talking to my friends about it earlier. We were just like um, sitting around and we, and we said about the the Gibraltar game because obviously that was mentioned because they said about oh, do you see the plane landing? And we said yeah, the problem with Gibraltar because it's such a small place. I think they've got enough room for a, a runway, a football ground, a co-op. And um, I think a pub, and I think everything else is just sort of like they just have to go to mainland Spain to get it. <laughs> so <laughs> space is at a premium. So yeah, that was quite. quite I say you're just watching it national game. Um, and on the topic of that as well, the Bulgaria um, ground looked a little bit um, ramshackle. I think is the correct word. Looked like, it looked like it was being played in a sort of a, a car park of a local branch of Maplin. Um, <laughs> it's a particularly nice place. Um, yeah, <laughs> great. But yeah, interesting. Like I say, interesting to see these places. You only ever see them. You mentioned last week about the FA Cup grounds, where you can see like a bouncy castle and a, and a food processing factory in the background, <laughs> and it's <laughs> on an international level. So it's really, really good. Oh, it's wonderful. Just to, to when games aren't quite hitting the mark, to so just have a little nose around the stadium and see what you can do. Exactly, play. that's what I live for. It's, my, it's like I say, one of my favourite things. <laughs> so to finish off, talking points as always, Ryan, you've got any non-international things you want to share? Yeah, thankfully, um, next week we're, me, um, brother and dad, we're going to go down to the new Spurs stadium. So Whee! nice to go home for a while. Yeah, it's been obviously sort of a long time coming. Um, more delays than they wanted to originally, but from what I can see for... From the stuff that happened there, there was an under-18s match. Um, I don't know if you saw it on Twitter and stuff. It was sort of quite uh, prominent. 
the first test event was an under 18s match today. Tottenham won 3 1 against Southampton. Um, and obviously, there were sort of 30,000 people there or so. And it was really, really good because, like I say, they, they sort of like opened it up and, and people were taking a lot of photos. And it looks really, really good. It looks like um, they've really sort of gone to town, making everything look really, really nice. Obviously, for the first Prem game there, which is um, next Wednesday, the 3rd of April against Palace. And obviously, got the Champions League quarterfinal with City as well. So that'd be really, really good. Um, yeah, it'd be nice to just get down there again, because obviously Wembley, talked about it before, it's a bit soulless. It's not very, I don't particularly like it. So it's part of the reason why I've not been down as much recently in the last couple of years. But yeah, hopefully we can make it into a more regular thing now. But yeah, I'm really, really looking forward to it. Can't wait. Those LED lights look absolute fire. That's all we wanted. It was that, that was the delay. <laughs> we all just wanted the <laughs> lights. So it's six months <laughs> delay trying to get the best ones. It just comes picking them out and putting new ones in. Um, yeah, I'm sure to take pictures, a lot of pictures and stuff, and then obviously I can send them over. Um, and then obviously we'll probably talk about it next week at some point in the next start of next week. Please, please do take pictures and take take like riddle pictures, like try and guess what part of the ground you're in. Just take a picture of like one of the metal beams or something. Which hand is this in? <laughs> Winner gets a prize. Shittest guessing game. <laughs> it's, it is something I'm really looking forward to. So next next Saturday will be will be me. Enjoy yourself. Thank you very much. I shall I shall surely um try the bar as well. See what they've got. They've got Heineken there as well now, which is a massive upgrade to drinking warm bottles of Carling. Uh, Carlsberg, <laughs> sorry, not Carling. So that's gonna be positive. <laughs> And they've got those cool beer filling up things yes. that were all the microbrewery as well, which plays into um, my hands because obviously, as you know, I'm a committed hipster. So <laughs> looking forward to that. Oh, I'm looking forward to these pictures now. I feel like they're going to be sl- they're going to be so good at the beginning and then slowly deteriorate as the microbrewery sees more action. Really, two D photos, <laughs> just like <laughs> not at all. Just oh, that was this. I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I took it on my disposable Kodak. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, I'm very much looking forward to it. So yeah, I'll be, there'll be a full debrief next week, I'm sure. I look forward to the debrief. On that note, we are going to call it an evening. Ryan, thank you as always. Cheers, mate. Have a good week. Cheers, you too. Uh, thank you very much, listeners. Remember, you can get in touch with us, gametimepodcast1 at gmail.com or gametime underscore pod on Twitter. We always want to hear your thoughts, questions, rants, whatever you want. Throw them at us. Until next week, see you later.